American Social History Podcasts are a production of the American Social History Project, Center for Media and Learning at the City University of New York Graduate Center. This talk was given at the Graduate Center. Uh, my name is Josh Brown, and I'm the Executive Director of the American Social History Project Center for Media and Learning and a member of the history faculty here at the Graduate Center. I'm pleased to welcome you this evening to the first program in a series of three public panels called Still Hazy After All These Years, marking the sesquicentennial of the start of the American Civil War. Tonight's panel is entitled, Did the Real War Ever Get in the Books? Playing off of, for the umpteenth time I know, Walt Whitman's plaintive observation about the gap between the experience and the history of the Civil War. Our next speaker is Stephanie McCurry, who is professor of history at the University of Pennsylvania. Stephanie received her PhD from the State University of New York at Binghamton and is the author of Masters of Small Worlds, Yeoman Households, and the Political Culture of the Antebellum South Carolina Low Country, which received the American Studies Association John Hope Franklin Prize and the Southern Historical Association Charles Sidner Award. Her new book is Confederate Reckoning, Power and Politics in the Civil War South, which just won the Merle Curdy OAA Organization of American Historians Award. And regarding that book, Eric Foner wrote in the, in the Nation, the sesquicentennial of the Civil War now looms on the horizon, promising its own deluge of books. We will be fortunate indeed if in sheer originality and insight they measure up to Confederate reckoning which offers a powerful new paradigm for understanding events on the Confederate home front. Good evening everybody. One of the long-standing problems of, the, of Civil War scholarship from my point of view and something Greg has already mentioned is the incommensurability and lack of integration of work on the Union and the Confederacy. The Lincoln anniversary last year didn't help, that's for sure, but rather reinforced a tendency that has, I think, characterized the scholarship, I would like to say for a century, but definitely for a quarter of a century. And that is the fact that the new story of the Civil War, as we usually tell it, is really the story of the Union in the war. Certainly, that is true of the new national public narrative, which is itself a great improvement over the old one that Lincoln freed the slaves. But this new national narrative is the one where we tell the story of how a war for union became a war for emancipation and established slaves, and especially black soldiers, as central actors in this grand human drama. Uh, that is definitely the story of the union in the war, standing in for the story of the American Civil War. And the military history of the Civil War is very much a story that divides in two. It's either a story about how the South lost the war or a story about how the union won the war and each approach exclusively focuses on its own analytic and set of internal and increasingly boring questions. But how much sense does this really make to see the war as the story of the Union in the war? If the heroic story of black Union soldiers' struggle for freedom and citizenship is one central dynamic of war and emancipation, and it certainly is, I wouldn't deny it, let's be clear that it is hardly the only one. It's worth remembering that only about 150,000 enslaved men served in the Union Army and Navy, that military service was a route to emancipation uh, open only to men and to no women, and that while as many as 500,000 slaves made it to Union lines during the war, the remainder, which let's do the math, is about three million people, remained on farms and plantations in, in Confederate territory in a state of presumptive slavery. 
The vast majority of slaves, in other words, fought their war against the slaveholders and the slaveholder state exactly where they lived. And this was the history I wanted to write when I set out to write a book on uh, the Confederacy, a throwback topic, if ever there was one. And I would say that while I could uh, indict the historians of the Union for their lack of interest in the Confederacy, this is certainly a problem that scholars of the Confederacy have not helped, have deeply contributed to. The literature on the Confederacy is a large body of work over a very long period of time, but the history of the Confederacy has been told very much as a regional story of concern mostly to itself. The last major history of the Confederacy was Emory Thomas's 1979, The Confederate Nation. Um, and Emory Thomas, for all of his innovation, and in many ways it's a wonderful book, was obsessed with matters of white Southern identity, as many white Southerners were in, in the 1970s. And he saw the revolutionary aspects of the Civil War as an isolated rupture in a long history of Southern continuity. In other words, he pointed out all kinds of amazingly interesting things about the war and then dismissed their significance in precisely the way Greg's talking about. What did the war have to do with what came after the war? He said it didn't. It was a time capsule uh, sitting there separate. It's hardly an exaggeration to say that the literature on the Confederacy has been preoccupied with the matter of military defeat um, and uh, sort of devolved into an absolutely paralyzed division within the literature between social historians uh, and military historians over that question of how the South lost the Civil War. Um, the internal debate, which is stale in the extreme, is really an argument between two sets of uh, historians about whether the Confederacy collapsed because of internal dissent uh, or through the greater power of the Union military, as if somehow these are in con uh, disconnected uh, things. Um, now, this is a very stale debate, one people endlessly still engage in. There are exceptions, of course. Drew Faust's uh, creation of Confederate nationalism took a different approach to the subject. Um, but like all binaries that structure historical scholarship, this one about the Confederacy is extremely artificial. Let's just say the history of the Confederacy has been a very provincial field, and the literature on the Confederacy has been about zero help in rethinking the field of Civil War history. But the failure to understand Southern and Confederate developments and to focus only on the Union creates a real problem in the field. For example, back in the 1960s when David Potter wrote his wonderful little book, Lincoln and His Party in the Secession Crisis, his assessment of the possibilities of compromise in the crisis of 1860 and 61, and the way he attributed responsibility for the failure of compromise, uh, utterly missed and in fact miscalculated the role of a cadre of radical Southern separatists, Southern uh, secessionists, who were fixated on the destruction of the Democratic Party. In other words, Potter didn't know anything about secessionists, so he couldn't really, he, he didn't really know what Lincoln was up against, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Um, uh, so far, so good, the Southern politician Robert Barnwell Rett telegraphed the U.S. Senator uh, William Porsche Miles after he managed to make a uh, to, to orchestrate a walkout of uh, Deep South Southern politicians from the Democratic Party convention in Charleston in May 1860. So it was choreographed that the party would fall apart, and the splitting of the Democratic Party into two wings, of course, is precisely uh, what allowed Lincoln and the Republican Party to come to power in 1860. What people like Potter could never know is how hard 
uh, Southern politicians had worked to make that happen. But it's still true now in the literature on the Civil War and emancipation that we are focused far too much on the, on the Union. We cannot write this history with a focus entirely on Lincoln, the Union Army, and the Republican Party's path to black enlistment and slave eman emancipation for reasons I've already indicated. My recent book on the Confederacy was an attempt to write a history that might force a revision of Civil War scholarship by establishing or reestablishing the significance of developments in the Confederacy to the history of the Civil War as we now tell it. I was operating from the basic assumption that the scale and significance of Southerners' bid for national independence had hardly been appreciated, that the history of the Confederacy was a much bigger story than has usually been told. To me, it seemed quite obvious that the founding of the Confederacy was a signal event in the history of the making of the modern world. After all, what secessionists set out to do was something entirely new in the history of nations, build an explicitly pro-slavery and anti-democratic nation state dedicated to the proposition that all men were not created equal. No other class of slaveholders in the hemisphere had ever attempted this. In an age of nationalism, the Confederate States of America has no peer, but it was a critical turning point in the fate of slavery, uh, especially in, the mom in a moment, as Alexander Stevens, the Confederate Vice Pe President, pointed out, uh, in a moment when scientific racism was on the rise and the truth of racial inequality was available to buttress slave By the 1850s, even in the United States, much of, much of the democratic impulse had already played out. And it was secession that gave new life, in the uh, new life to democratic expansion in the United States and propelled the profound transformation of political life that came with the Civil War and emancipation. It was the political and military failure of the slaveholders' bid for national independence that set the fate of slavery and, the form of, uh, 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 the, and defeated that form of reactionary politics in the hemisphere. The South, pro-slavery ideology, and the Confederate bid for national independence was part of this, and a crucial part of it, geostrategically speaking. All you have to do is think about what it would have happened if the Confederacy had managed to survive to see the geostrategic implications of this. Um, uh, certainly Britain and France were very interested in a divided uh, United States. Confederates were fully caught up in the turbulent currents of history that roiled the hemisphere in the age of emancipation. Their pro-slavery experiment was uh, was part of a far larger struggle then being waged over slavery, democracy, and the powers of nation states. It was part of a powerful wave of reaction that had taken hold in the Western world since at least the French Revolution. And when we begin to write the new global history of the Civil War, as historians, especially young ones, are now beginning to do, we have to make sure that it doesn't focus only, as it already threatens to, on the radical progressive tradition of the 19th century world, the world of 1848, political liberty, anti-slavery, women's rights. All this, we have to remember, was matched at every step in the late 18th and 19th century by an equally transnational reactionary tradition, much of it emanating um, uh, from landed elites reluctant to surrender their captive labor forces which were tied to the land. This is a problem Barrington Moore pointed out in 1966, and which historians, I think, to their, um, uh, too quickly abandoned. 
I think, for example, of Jerome Blum's old book on the end of the old order, old order in Europe and the connection to developments uh, in, the, in the Confederacy. In the long run, as we know all too well, and maybe this is a point too obvious to make, um, in the 21st century, this conservative tradition proved every bit as powerful in the 19th and 20th century as the progressive one, and the Confederacy was key to the making and to the limiting of that reactionary tradition in the 19th, uh, the 19th century world. I would just finish by saying two things about what I see as trends in new scholarship. And one has to do with efforts to write a global or transnational history of the Civil War, which I think is one of the most exciting uh, new developments in the field. We've always had a broad compass or set of coordinates for Civil War history. Older Marxist models of comparative histories to build on, uh, ones that focused on the Civil War as the last bourgeois democratic revolution in a tradition that stretches from Barrington Moore uh, all, and Eugene Genovese all the way to Eric Foner and Steve Hahn. Comparative histories of emancipations and the problems of labor and welfare, people like Tom Holt. Uh, literature on state building and on nationalism. New work on gender and emancipation, which is a very crucial but extremely difficult element of the historical uh, process to write about. Um, work that focuses on commodity flows as transnational uh, developments. But it is a new impulse too, uh, but, but this new impulse to see American developments uh, within international or transnational or even, even global context, we have to focus on the, um, the, the global context that informs developments in the Civil War and within which they clearly unfolded. And for anybody who has ever done any even just newspaper research on the period, there's a bewildering array of references to developments in Europe, uh, the Italians, the Hungarians, the Germans. It's, it's a world of uh, 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 international references um, uh, in, uh, uh, in the United States. And many people in the rest of the world and in the United States saw these as related developments. We have yet to learn how to really write about them this way, but I think the time is coming. Um, there are recent books, for example, on secession as an international phenomena. And we're just beginning to suggest the possibility of the Civil War, uh, as Greg mentioned, uh, in terms of or in the context of Republican struggles for national self-determination in the late 18th and 19th century worlds, the Italian Wars of Unification, the German uh, uh, Unification, both in the context, uh, in the period of the Civil War and Reconstruction. Um, I would just say that as we enter this, this next round of global history, that we be aware uh, that we guard against the old divides between the progressive union and the reactionary uh, co uh, confederacy rearing up again. And remember that the conservative, er, uh, even reactionary traditions that the confederacy was part of and crucial to were every bit as important as the progressive ones in the making of the modern world. And the last thing I would just like to do is kind of a plea, I suppose, um, uh, uh, a word about gender, uh, the gender history of the Civil War of which there is much less than there ought to be. Uh, it's clear to me from running a search in uh, transnational modern Europe, which as an Americanist inexplicably I am, that the new global histories um, are as traditional in, the gender, in gender terms are just as traditional as the old national political and state-centered histories, especially on questions of gender and power. This is mysterious to me. Uh, why it's so hard for historians of political systems 
especially conservative ones, to see how fundamental exclusion was to the setting of the boundaries of nations and democracies and government by the people. Ben Anderson's idea in Imagined Communities, of, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, which he constantly points out about the fraternal basis of imagined communities, a term that remains entirely unexamined in that book, stands there for us for the last 20 years as an unaccepted invitation to analysis. Why don't we think more about this? Why is it so hard for us to see this? It's astonishing, really, that we continue to write histories of any period, especially of the Civil War and Reconstruction, the Civil War and Emancipation, with the fiction of exclusively male actors. Um, and I think that we've done so in part because we have confused state's objectives and the preoccupations and perspectives of records collected by state actors for the history which has been made by men and by women, enslaved and free, and which is the history we should concentrate on writing. Thank you. <laughs>